key scripture, of course, is Romans 12, verse 2. And it says, not to be conf- And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And we've seen in there three basic things that Paul is telling us that are so crucial. The first thing is what not to do, and that's not to be conformed to this world. We've seen that the word conformed means to be pressured from the outside so that you look on the outside like the pressure that's come against you. And the image we used was that of of the minting of a coin where the pressure is put against that piece of metal so that the outside of it now looks like the the negative side of that press. So, and, and... but if that press presses on there, the head of Abraham Lincoln, I guess he's still on a penny, that doesn't mean he, that coins Abraham Lincoln, but it bears his image. And so we see in this that the, that the pressures of this world are designed by the, our, the, God, the enemy of our soul, by the God of this world, Satan, to put pressure on you to make you look on the outside like the rest of the world looks like. Now, his first goal was to keep you from being saved. But having failed at that, which tells you how powerful he is. Having failed at that, his next goal is to keep you from affecting anybody else. He can't change what you are on the inside. God did that when you came to Christ. But what he can do is keep you from finding out what God did on the inside or try to keep you and try to keep such pressure on you that although God's changed you on the inside into him, his image, that image never comes to the outside so that other people can see it and be drawn to him. And so that's what this is all about. So it tells us not to be conformed, pressured, allow the pressures of this world, the world system, to conform, to conform us to look like the world on the outside. The second thing is what he tells us we are to do, and that's to be transformed. The word transformed is a very different word, which means to take what you really are like on the inside and work that to the outside so that your outside appearance represents accurately what you're like on the inside. Now, understand by appearance, I don't mean your facial expression, although what's going on on the inside should affect the expression on your face. Sometimes I've been in services and and even here sometimes where, you know, we're singing singing about the love of God and how the joy of the Lord, but we forgot to tell our face about that. And, and how, you know, how many times do we go through the day thinking about God's love and talking to other people, but, but our face doesn't represent what we're, what, we're, what we're talking about. And, and the world doesn't see what's on the inside of you. It sees what you present on the outside. And then we saw that what this is all about is that by doing that, we may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we looked at scriptures to show that what's at stake here is not just how peaceful and how happy you are. What's at stake here is God is proving something. God is proving something not just to the world, but to principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. We saw in Ephesians, it's actually in there several times, where God, is pro- God wants to prove something to them. And what we saw He wants to prove to them is not how powerful He is, not how wise He is, but He wants to prove to them what His grace and His love can do in a creature like you and me. But that can't be proven until that shows up on the outside. So we saw that we are literally witnesses in a great trial. And the jury are these principalities and powers in heavenly places. And you are a witness. A witness means I'm testifying about something. And the witness you are, to the, to, not just to the world around us, but to the world system and to the spiritual forces around us, the witness you are is what God's grace can do in somebody like you or me. 
And see, we've been taught by the world that what we're to do for God is to, is to clean ourselves up and, and to prove how, what a good job we can do with what God's given us. And what God wants to prove is what a good job He can do with what you gave Him. I've used this expression before. We're trophies of His grace. We're not to be trophies of how smart we are, how strong we are, how determined we are. We're trophies of His grace and His love and what He can do in us. And we begin to understand that, then we can relax and let God work in us and find that He can work in this process. So we've seen that, and then we discover that it tells us how to do this. And the only way it tells us how to do this is by the process of renewing our minds. And then we went back. So I'm going I'm to turn this on now. So you, back there, they've got to do whatever they've got to do. And, and we began to look at some things. Whoops. Got to go back here a little bit. Takes a moment for this to back up. All right. We looked at this and we saw that, that we went through Ephesians and there are a lot of other things we could do. And you don't need to write those down. But on the left-hand side is a list of the things, some of the things the Bible says God's already done for us. Not will do, has done. Past tense. Some of these things he, he planned to do for you before the foundation of the world. So God wasn't waiting to see what kind of Christian you were going to be before he did them. By the way, he already knew. You understand God doesn't discover things. We discover things. You understand God, God, God doesn't have opinions. An opinion is an educated guess. And you only guess when you don't know. And when you know everything, you don't have to guess. And if you don't have to guess, you don't have an opinion, you're always right. Some of you may be married to somebody like that. They're just always right. <laughs> but with God, that's good, because He's not trying to prove He's always right for His sake. He's trying to prove He's always right for your sake. But then we looked at this right-hand side, which describes what we're experiencing. And we saw there's a gap. There's a gap between what God's Word says He's done for us. We all discovered that not only did he, has He done these for us, but most of these things are things He's put in us. When you came to Christ, He deposited His nature in you. The Bible says He took His old nature out, your old nature out, heart of stone, took it out, and He put a new spirit in you, a new nature in you, and then just to cap it off, he put his own spirit in you to help carry that out and to bring that nature to the outside. You've got everything going for you. He's done everything he can do. What more can he do? He's deposited his nature inside of you. He's deposited the power of the spirit by which he created the universe inside of you to bring it to the outside. How come it's not there? That's what we're here to discover. But so many of us get either used to looking at the things God's done for us and learn to living to, le- learning to live in two worlds. Well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, and that's what we learn in church. But the real world's what's on the, real world's what's on the outside, on the right-hand side, and that's what's out there. So we learn to live in two worlds, and then we never change and we never grow. So what we're discovering is we need to ask that question. How come that's not in my life more? Well, the answer is here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Because it's done by the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind is the process by which God takes what's on the inside of you and brings it to show up on the outside of you out into your life. We learned that there's two different points, there are two different sides to all of this. You'll see at the very top, one's the legal side and the other's the vital side. The legal refers to what God's already done from God's side. 
We saw back in, in Genesis 17 where God said, As for me, to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. But Abraham did not become in reality on the right-hand side a father of many nations. He didn't become a father for another 20-some years. So there was a, there was a gap there. But, but the Bible says that Abraham believed what God said on the right hand, left-hand side, and then he became. He believed in order that he might become. That's in Romans 5, 18 and 19. He believed in order that he might become according to that which was spoken by the Father, by God. That's the left-hand side, and the way that comes to the right-hand side is by renewing your mind. Just discovering what God's put in you is the beginning of the process of renewing your mind. If you don't know that's already in you and you're still trying to achieve something you already have, then renewing your mind starts with just discovering what God's already done in you, what he's already done, and then the reality that that's real now. And as it becomes more and more real, you become to act more and more like that. So that's what we saw. That's what we were seeing. And then as we ended last time, we began to talk about now bringing this truth into our lives, because what we're now beginning to talk about is if, if the process is learning how to renew our minds... I mentioned to you last week, and that's what we began to talk about last week, and we're going to continue today, is how do I locate my mind? Because before you can renew something, you've got to find it. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you ever known? You, you, well, I'll give you an example. There was, there was, we were going to do something with a, a piece of equipment that we have that I haven't done for a number of years. So I'm thinking, all right, well, I need to read the manual. So where do, where, now the question is, where do I leave it? My recollection is it's somewhere in that hall closet. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I couldn't just open the door and see it sitting in there. So I had to go looking for this manual. This is late at night one night to try to find, find this manual. So before I could use the manual, I had to locate it. I had to find out where it was. I never found it. I had to go online. Some of you may think you've got to go online to find your mind, <laughs> but it's there somewhere. So I, this is kind of humorous, but the reality is we do not really understand God gave you your mind for a purpose. And until you understand the purpose, most likely you're, using, you're trying to use it for the wrong reason. And if you try to use it for the wrong reason, it's just not going to work correctly because God designed it for a purpose within the whole of who you are. For some people, the mind's everything. I was raised in a family and in, in a, in a, in a, in among people where the mind was everything. And you were judged, evaluated based on where you went to school, what degree you had, the kind of people you hung out, what your profession was. So once they saw the, all the diplomas on your wall, they knew what you were like in their own Because your mind, that told them that you were smart and you were educated and therefore they could trust you. Well, as I grow up and begin to see the people that I'd grown up around, I discovered their lives were falling apart. And I'm not going to go into the testimony of some of it. I have some of them relatives. Their lives were falling apart with all these degrees and all this IQ. They still couldn't manage their lives because the mind was not enough. They, there were some of them that couldn't get along with anybody. And one of them in particular I was particularly close to, as brilliant as he was, graduated from a major, a major uh, Ivy League college at an extremely young age, died drunk in a gutter with all that intelligence. It couldn't keep him out of a gutter. Lost his profession, lost his family, and that's not the only testimony of that I can tell you about. So obviously the mind isn't everything. 
Then you've got the other extreme of people that believe when you become a Christian, you throw the mind out because it just gets in the way because we're spiritual. So we're led by the Spirit, and they do some of the dumbest things in the name of the Spirit of God and really become a reproach to Christ and turn people off because they're doing foolish, stupid things. Now, God doesn't do, doesn't, God will do things that may not fit into your understanding because God likes to do things that don't fit into our understanding. So remember, He's God and we're not. But He doesn't do stupid, foolish things. And so we've got other people going to the other extreme and they've thrown the mind out. And we went through in the very beginning of this a number of scriptures about things the Bible tells us to do with our minds. So God's expecting us to use. He expects you to think. I went over big. There's some things we're asking God, God, what am I supposed to do about this? What am I supposed to do about this? And he's saying, think. Use that brain I gave you and decide what you think you need to do. Somebody, oh, that's not scriptural. God, God tells me what socks to wear, and God tells me. Now, hey, if he does that for you, bless you. <laughs> but somehow he gave me some common sense and some, some color perspective that I have been able to match some socks together. Now, some of you men, I know you need to check with your wives, but that's okay. That's all right. And there's things I check with my wife about. But I don't, you know, we don't fast and pray about what tie I'm going to wear the next day. But there are people that do that. There are people that do that. God told me to wear... Now, there may be a reason why God on a specific day told you to wear something because it may be something He's going to use, but that's going to be rare. Use your brain. Use your brain. All right. So, in order to understand where your mind is and the way God designed you, we started out by looking at what the Bible tells us. There are two basic realms of reality. And we looked at those last time, so I'm not going to go through them in detail. On the left, you'll see there's the spirit realm, and on the right, there's the natural or the material realm. And the basic difference is this. The natural material realm is anything that exists, and you can detect it with one or more of your five senses. Because your five senses are the part of your body that's designed to interact with the rest of this material world. And your body is a part of that. Because we'll look a little later on this, this evening, God formed that first man's body out of what? The dust of the earth, out of the stuff that the, this material realm was made of. And then we'll look later on what he did with that. But the point is this. So if you can detect it with one or more of your five senses, then we know it's of this material realm. So if, if, if the other thing is it's, it's made of the substance of the earth... Because it's of this realm, that realm, it's temporary. It's under a curse. It's decaying. It's changing. And generally not for the better. The longer something in this realm exists, the more downhill it goes. If you leave an old car outside, it'll start rusting and falling apart. Unless you take care of it and you maintain things that are of this material realm, they begin to decay and fall apart, including your body. And so, so the, it, the, the material realm is anything that's detected. Not only that, it's always changing, and it's less real, and that's kind of where we ended up last time. And I told you the story. It's just an allegory, but it's a story that C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and it's a story about this man that gets on a bus that really is going from the outskirts of hell to visit heaven. <clears throat> and as he gets off the bus, there's this huge green field of grass, and he steps out onto it, and there's a guide that comes to lead him towards a, the, the, the heavenly city. And as he's walking along, he realizes that the grass blades are sticking through his foot. Well, that got his attention. 
So he turns to the guide and says, how can that be? And the guide says, in essence, well, the grass blades here are more real than your foot. And see, we're so used to stepping on grass, and the grass gives way to your foot. But remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, he's not wearing the same body he had before. The Bible says this mortal must put on immortal. And this, this, this temporary must put on eternal. In order to, you know what, this body can't get into heaven. This body. You've got to have a new one to get in there. It has to be, it can't be made of the substance of this earth. It has to be made of the other realm. And so after Jesus was raised from the dead, one of the things he did, he was now wearing a prototype of that body. And so he would walk through walls. And, 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 and the walls didn't crumble. He just walked through them. Why? Because this body was more real than that wall because that wall was built of the substance of this earth. And so, so that's what this material realm is. Then we've got the spirit realm, which is anything that exists that's not detected by your five senses, that can't be detected by your five senses. Now, I emphasize, emphasize something that exists because there are things you can't detect with your five senses because they don't exist. So I, you're most likely have never seen a unicorn. If you have, you need to talk to me. Because I'll review the drinking policy with you. Because the reason you can't detect them is they don't exist. And see, the, the, the arrogance of our society today is we've bought the lie, the deception, that if we can't detect it with our senses, it's not real. Therefore, God's not real. And the truth is, that realm is far more real than this realm. It's where God exists. John 4, Jesus said, in John chapter 4, Jesus said that he's seeking true worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. Why? Because God is spirit. God is a spirit. Now, he may have a bodily form, but it's not a body like yours and mine. It is a, he's a spirit being. That's why to truly worship, you can only worship God in spirit and in truth. Your body may enhance the experience, but the true worship has to be coming by a spirit-to-spirit connection. Why? Because God is a spirit, and that's the only way you can connect with him, spirit-to-spirit. The spirit realm never changes. It's not getting older. It's not decaying. It stays the same, and it is more Real. Turn with me to Romans, to, uh, to Romans, blah, 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 blah. Hebrews chapter 11. That was close. Verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what allows you to operate in this material realm with a confidence that the things exist in the spirit realm like God, since you can't see him in the normal course of events, we have to believe he's real by faith. Verse 2, for by it, by faith, the elders, those are the elders of the Old Testament, obtained good testimony. For by faith, we understand that the worlds, that's this natural realm, were framed 
by the word of God. How do we understand it? By faith. That's why science can't ever come to the conclusion that God is existing because that aspect of it can only be understood by faith. They can push their science back as far as they want, back to the Big Bang, but they can't explain where the bang came from. They can keep going back. Well, yeah, we'll go back further, go back further, go back further, go back further, go back further. All right, but where did that come from? And I heard an interview with one of their so-called, what they now call theologians, said, okay, you know, and this wasn't even an interview by a Christian. He said, all right, let's assume that's all true. They've all evolved out of something. What was the first thing we evolved out of? Where did that come from? And listen to this. This is his answer. The, the best theory we have, you ready for this? Is that aliens visited the earth and deposited the cells here. And this was in response to the question is, why do you say we can't teach creationism in class? And the answer was, there's no legitimate scientific basis for it. And he said at the end of this, wait a minute. There's no legitimate scientific basis for creationism. But the legitimate scientific basis for, for evolution is we think maybe aliens deposited here. Well, I can't talk to you anymore. See, they don't have an answer because the answer is it's understood by faith. That's why sometimes I'll see Christians go on on secular TV shows trying to explain the things of God. You can't to someone that doesn't have the Spirit of God in them because they're spiritually discerned. They're going to try to understand things that you and I know by faith with their mind, and the mind is not capable. In fact, Ephesians chapter, I think it's 3, says that they rely on the futility of the mind. The mind is futile when it comes to trying to understand the things of God because it's not designed for that. Now, once you've got the Spirit of God in you and He begins to show you things, you can have an understanding of what He's shown you, but you can't get a hold of God with your mind because it was not designed by God for that purpose. Okay, so we've got these two realms of existence. Now we're going to bring them into man. And here's the issue. We've already talked about the fact that the very nature of the spirit realm and the the material realm, or in our case, our spirit, because the part of you that comes from the spirit realm is your spirit. So you belong to two different realms. The real you on the inside is a spirit being. And that spirit being lives or dwells in a body. Now, some people, and we're going to talk in a minute about the soul... Some people believe there's two parts to you, soul and and body. And there's a problem with that. I'll explain to you in a minute. The body is the part of you from the natural material realm. In Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, God formed man out of the dust of the earth. In other words, he reached down and took a hunk of this material realm and formed it into another form a human body. But at that point, it was not alive. It was just a part of this realm redesigned 
with arms and legs and hands and figure, fingers and you know, ears and all the stuff you and I have. But then it says, and then God breathed into them, his nostrils, the breath of life. And he became a living being. So the life of that body did not come from the substance of this earth. The life that animated it, made it alive and real, had to come from outside of this realm, and it had to come from God, and it had to be God-breathed into him. By the way, that's what happened when you were born again. God breathed into your body the breath of life, the spirit, the ruach in the Old Testament, pneuma in the New Testament, breathed into you and you became alive unto God. You became alive unto God. But that had to come in from the outside. Now, because of the fact, so the spirit is the real you. It's the eternal part of you. That body is not going to last forever. You've figured that out, haven't you? Okay. And in fact, in order to get into heaven, you've got to leave it here. Because it can't go to heaven, because it's not made of the substance that heaven's made of. It's made of the substance of this earth. On the other hand, your spirit man can't operate in this world without a body. Because in order to interact with the material substance of this world, it takes other material substance. Denny, stand up a second. Let's shake hands. Give me a hug, brother. I will. Oh, I love you too. All right. <laughs> Our spirit men did not just hug. Now, there's a union, there's a connection there. But the only way I could know Denny's here is by my eyes seeing his physical material body and I could sense his presence by physically touching him and putting my arms around him. If I wanted to move, if you wanted to move that chair somewhere else, your spirit can't do that. Why? Because that chair is from which realm? The material realm. So it takes something from the material realm to move or affect something else from the material realm. That's unless something supernatural happens. Supernatural is when something outside of the natural takes place. But we're just talking about the normal course of things. I want to dwell on this because it's important for where we're headed with this. So that by the very essence of what a, the material realm is like and the spirit realm is like is they cannot actually touch or interact with each other. Now listen, that means in order to get into heaven, you can't take that body. It doesn't work up there. So God's got to give you a spirit body that can work up there. We all understand that. But there's another side to this that affects us here. That means, therefore, that God can't do certain things in this realm. Because God's a spirit. Unless he works through a physical body. In the book of Acts... 
Apostle Peter's. About to have lunch sitting on the roof. An angel. He has a vision. She comes down. God says, eat these foods. And he says, I, I can't do that. Because he says, eat these foods. And then an angel appears to him and says, there's going to be some men come from Joppa. Go with them. And preach to them the full, God, full word of this gospel. An angel appeared to Cornelius and told him to send to Peter. And it dawned on me one day, wait a minute. If God wants to tell Cornelius the gospel, and he attends an angel to Cornelius, an angel appears to Cornelius and says, go send some of your men to Peter and have him come here because there's words he's got to say to you. Why didn't the angel just tell him? I mean, if God's efficient and doesn't waste people's time, why doesn't the angel? Because the angel can't. There's things God can't. Well, God's sovereign. Yeah, he is. But the sovereign God created this. See, some people think because God's sovereign, whatever happens is God's will. No, God, as an act of his sovereignty, took certain steps. And God, unlike so many of us, honors his word. So when he delegated all of this to Adam, and Adam messed it up, he didn't take it back. You know, when he, the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means even if you mess up and decide not to do it, he doesn't take it back. He's still expecting you. And you'll still be responsible for it, even though you don't do it. And so the point is this. Now remember this whole thing we're talking about. We're talking about proving the will of God. And God wants to prove it to spirit beings. Why doesn't he just do that? It's God. Because in this realm, God can't express himself. In fact, I'll put it this way. In this realm, spirits cannot, again, aside from something supernatural, spirit beings cannot express themselves in this realm without a body. Remember the story Jesus tells about warning about casting demons out? He says, if you do that, be careful. He says, because what they'll do is they'll travel around in waterless places. That's the spiritual atmosphere around here because they're going to seek another house to get into. Remember the demons that were cast out of the legion of demons cast out of that man by Jesus? What did they do? They said, please, let us go even into the pigs. We've got to have a body to inhabit so that we can influence in this realm. Getting interesting, isn't it? So here's the problem. Let's come back to us now. This is what you are. You are a spirit being with the life of God and all those qualities and things that we've listed on that left-hand side are in you and in your spirit. But your spirit's living in a body that can't interact with your spirit because by nature, they have no contact with each other. You following me? Because your spirit cannot speak to your body. And your body cannot speak to your spirit because spirits are not detectable by your five senses and therefore there's no direct contact or communication. 
That's what that's. So your spirit would love to talk to your body and tell it what to do, but it can't because they don't speak the same code, same language. You know, some nowadays you can, you know, I, I just, I got a, another electronic device and I'm trying to get them all to talk to each other. And sometimes they don't speak the same language. And so they won't communicate. You bought them and they said they'll communicate, but they don't communicate. Right, men and women? <laughs> all right. So your spirit would love to communicate with your body, but by nature, by definition, it can't. And on the other hand, your body would love to communicate back to your spirit, but it can't either. Why? Because they don't connect with each other. Make sure I'm not skipping something here. Okay. And so God gave you a third part called your soul. Now, what is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your personality. It's your personality, basically. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the part of you you're the most conscious of. And when you get to know somebody, the part of them you generally get to know is their soul. And here's the problem, because you'll have a lot of... A lot of Churches out there and pastors and theologians teach that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. And here's the problem with that. First of all, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is quick and more powerful than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it's a two-edged sword piercing aside and dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. And the joints in the marrow, discerners of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart completely, holy. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've read theologians and commentaries, yeah, but that's just being kind of figurative. That doesn't say that there's only two parts of you. What I'm going to show you is the three parts fits into a pattern and a function that I believe makes it necessary to separate your spirit and your soul. Okay. I'll just go back to make sure I've covered everything. All right. The spirit's the real you. It's your real nature. It's your life source. Not only does Genesis 2-7 say that, the, 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 that first man's body became alive when God breathed into it, but then if you look at John nineteen thirty and 32, when Jesus was on the cross, it said he gave up or released his spirit and died. It was only when he released his spirit that he died. Psalm 104.29 says, take away the spirit from a man and he dies. It's the spirit that gives you life. The spirit in you is a source of your life. Okay. All right. So the soul is made up of the mind, of the will, and the emotions. So here's the problem again. 
We've got a spirit wants to communicate with a body, and the body needs to communicate with the spirit. Actually, the spirit wants to express himself through the body because it has to. Understand this. The only way, again, aside from something supernatural, the only way that God can express himself in this world is through people like you and me. He's in you to give you all the wisdom, all the words, all the knowledge, all the anointing, but he can't get it out of you unless your body does something to express it. Are you following me? Okay. So here's what the soul does. The soul is designed to be able to communicate with the spirit. And then the soul is also designed by God to communicate with your body. In essence, the soul is the bridge between your spirit and your body. It's the connector. It's what connects the two together. Now remember what your soul is. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. So everything that's going to go from the spirit that's in you to touch your body and so you can do something with it has got to go through your soul. And everything your soul, everything that, 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 your, that your body experiences that's got to get into your soul spirit has to go through your soul also. I'll give you a very simple, practical example of that. Sitting in a message like this. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I, you know, I had a big day. I can go to sleep. But whatever, whatever is going to go into my spirit anyway. Not according to this, it isn't. Because right in the middle of your soul is your mind. Let's go to the next one. Here on the left-hand side is like the, the legal... The spirit man in you, made of the spirit realm, it's eternal and strong. God lives in you. On the right-hand side, your body. It's made of the material realm. It's temporary, weak, all those stuff. The soul in the middle, I put a question mark because it's not, it's not either of those two, is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now here we're beginning to find why the mind's so important. Because the mind controls, we'll go back to this prior slide. The mind controls what passes through the soul. Either way. It's a gateway. Let's put it this way. There's, and keep in mind, with body, it can be when you're reading the Word of God, because that's coming in through your eyes. It can be when you're hearing the Word of God te- taught or preached, because that's going through your ears. It can be anything that's coming into you about God's, that God's trying to teach you or get across to you. Has got to go through your soul before it gets deposited in your spirit. Because your, your, your eyes don't see directly into your spirit. It has to go through your mind. So your mind is a gate that controls whatever's going to go into your spirit from your body and what's going to come out of your spirit into your body. I'm not getting ahead of myself here. So it's a gate. Now you can begin to see why the mind is so critical. Because it's going to control what passes from one side of you to the other. If you've already made your mind up about a certain thing, you will not receive information into your spirit that's contrary to what you already believe. 
If you already believe one thing, I'm not, but it can be changed. But without changing what your mind believes, what you hear gets filtered through it. And if you don't, if your mind does not accept it, it doesn't get into your spirit because it can't flow through that gate. And that gate flows throws both ways. So what you believe about something determines what you're going to do acting on it and what's going to get down inside of you. I can tell from my own testimony, just from the way I was raised and things that were instilled in me, when after I was saved, I would sit in services where the preacher was preaching the love of God. I mean, the anointing was dripping from the ceiling. People were crying and moved, and I walked out of there condemned. Why? I took all that good news, and instead of it getting deposited in my spirit, my mind retranslated it. Well, it can't be you because you're not like that, or whatever. I've, I've talked to, to weightlifters, and one in particular, I heard tell his story. The story was that you know he was building up his 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 ability to to lift weights, and he was um, uh, you know he got up to I forgot you know he could bench press I don't know let's say two hundred and fifty pounds, and he was going up in increments of ten pounds each time you know, and so let's I think he got up to like two hundred let's make it easier for my math he got up to to three hundred pounds he could bench press it. One day he comes in sets the weights up gets down does his does his lifting. And he finishes and get up and he looks and he says, oh my goodness, I just did 350. Now that's a fact. He just lifted 50 pounds more than he's ever done before. Wow, that's a fact. In his mind, the intellectual part of his mind knows that. I did it. Therefore, if I did it today, I can do it three days from now when I come back here. So three days later, he comes back, puts 350 pounds on there. Now he knows there's 350 pounds on there. Lies down on the bench and goes, and can't lift it. Why? Because the image that he has of himself is still back at 300 pounds. That's a major issue in dieting. I got to take this weight off because I'm fat. So I got this image that I'm fat and I'm fat because I overeat. That's the image I have and I'm trying to change my behavior and I'm trying to read the Word of God. I'm trying to read books. The problem is they all get processed through this image. And most of the time we get more frustrated because I'm reading what I ought to do but inside I know I can't because I'm already convinced I can't change. So what they've got to do is begin to help you change your image of yourself so that you can begin to receive and accept truth and information that you need to be able to grow and to mature. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now let's look into this a little bit. We'll get into some of that a little bit more. So here's the base. There's the three parts of you. Your spirit man, that's the real you that's on the inside. That's the God, part of you that's, God, that's God's nature. And that's why, you know, when you're born again, you, may, you don't, may not see a change on the outside. The change took place on the inside. 
And when the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, learn to take what's on the inside and work it to the outside. But now we can see that's got to go through the soul. And the soul is controlled by your mind. Well, that's not quite true. We'll get into that a little later on. Actually, you'll find your soul is controlled by your will. But your will is influenced by your mind. We'll talk more about that later. But there's books out there talking about the battlefield of the mind. That's the battlefield, but the battle's for the will. The battle's not for the mind. The battle's for your will. Both God... Let's go back to this one. Both God... I went too fast. Both God and the devil want to express themselves through you. They have to. Because the only way their message can get communicated to others is through a physical body. Satan wants to inhabit people. It's called demon possession. He wants to possess people so he can express himself through them. I don't want to get into this issue, but I don't believe that a true Christian can be possessed because that means the Spirit of God has to have been moved out. But you can be so thoroughly oppressed that the line is hard to find. But they're both after the same thing. The difference is the devil does it by cunning and pressure, and God woos us. God has put his spirit in us, and so he's got a, he's got a beachhead in us. And so what he's trying to get us to do is to learn to listen to his spirit in us so that his spirit can express what God wants to out of our body, whether it's our, whether it's our words or our gestures or the expression on our face. Okay. Whoops. Okay, now, just see my notes. I've gotten way so far ahead of my notes. <laughs> you can leave that up there. Let me just go into my notes now and see where we are here. All right. No, I do want to do this. Let's see if I can get this to work. We're still establishing. I've got to shut it off and start over again. I don't know what the problem is. Anyway, never mind. We'll finish. We'll, I'll share the slide next week, but I'll go through this. Technology is wonderful when it works. But you've got that up there, the three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. Now, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God made man in His image. Right? God has three parts. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Three parts, one God. Ultimately, our minds can't get around that, but we can grasp some things that are like that. Some Water can exist in three forms, but it's still water. It can be liquid, it can be vapor, or it can be ice. 
that, that really falls short of an analogy of God. But, but, but the fact that things, one thing can exist in three different forms, the thing with God is He's all three at the same time. And the three are in relationship with each other. Okay. So God has three parts to Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those three parts each have a different, different purpose, a different function. And you may not have ever heard this before. The Father has a different function from the Son, and the Son has a different function from the Father and the Spirit. And here's the way it works. The Father wills. He just expresses what He wants. Jesus in the garden said, Not my will, but your will be done. A man came to Jesus and said, Good master. He said, No, 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 you don't understand. There's only one good. That's my Father. My goodness comes from Him. I am an outshining, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, chapter, verse 3. I am the out, he's the outshining of the Father's glory. He's not a reflection. A reflection is when it bounces off of. An outshining is when you've absorbed it in yourself and you radiate it back out again, but it didn't come from you. So Jesus has absorbed the Father's light, the Father's glory, the Father's presence. He's not the source of it, and He radiates it out. So the Father wills. Everything is to carry out the Father's will. The Son, the second person, is the one in the Trinity responsible for carrying it out, like a prime minister would be, or like an, uh, an aide-de-camp. He's the one, or the secretary. He's the, in other words, the, 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 the king decides, this is what I decree I want done, and his prime minister or his next guy right next to him says, it's now his job to figure out how to do it and to carry it out. But the prime minister didn't do it. He had slaves or soldiers or all kinds of workers that actually carried out the instructions under his direction. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's the agent by which the, the will of God gets accomplished in the earth. If you went back and looked in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in fact, let's do that quickly. It's not hard to find. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the beginning of what? The creation of this realm. God created the heavens and the earth. Not heaven where He lives. There's different heavens the Bible talks about. This heaven is the spiritual atmosphere around this physical earth. He created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void. That just means it was in disharmony and scattered. And darkness was on the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God, look at this, was hovering over the face of the waters. That word hovering is a word that's used for a hen that spreads her wings out over her chicks like this, hovering over, or the eggs hovering over them. But it's a word that implies ready to act. I kind of look like it as this. If, if you were to let gas fumes loose in here, they're just fumes in here. But you light a match, whoosh, and so the Spirit of God was hovering over, waiting to carry out the words, let there be. So when the Father said, let there be, the Spirit was the agent there to physically carry that out. Three parts to God. One wills, 
the other figures out how to carry it out, and the third part carries it out. Now, you want to know how that applies to us? Well, we'll get into that next week. Oh, you want to know now? I don't know. Well, all right. Your spirit, you have a soul, and they live in your body. Where does your spirit come from? From God. He comes from the spirit realm. He's born of God. Not only that, God puts his spirit in you. In Romans chapter 8, it says all those who are led by the spirit. So he's in you to lead you to give you direction. In other words, he's in you to know God's will for what you're to do. Your body is the part of you that's going to carry it out. So when the Spirit of God says, I want you to to make a pie and go to your next door neighbor and give that pie to your neighbor, the Spirit of God can't bake a pie and take it over there. You've actually got to use your hands, your eyes, your, you know, whatever those natural talents you have to physically do it and use your feet to walk it over there. Your body is the agent to carry out the will that your spirit has discerned. Then what's the role of your soul? It's the role of the son. The role of your soul is to discern the will of God and to figure out how to carry, implement that and carry that out through your body. So when I read 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says your whole spirit, soul, and body, and people say, well, that's just, you know, that's not, that's not literally true, but it follows the image and pattern of God. Not only these three parts follow the function of God. I'll give you another reason why the spirit and the soul have to be separate. Because if you, if you blend the spirit and the soul together, how can, you, you read scriptures which we read that says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. You, you believe the Bible says you're, you are now the righteousness. It says in, first, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You have been made. That's how the only way you can get into God's presence is because you're the righteousness of God. Not because you're going to be someday, because you are now. Now let me ask you a question. Have you always acted righteous? Ever since you've been saved, if you act righteous every day, as righteous as God. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 1, that he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just said he's predestined beforehand that we might be holy and without blame before him in love. How many of you are perfectly holy and without blame before him? I'm seeing who's going to lie. <laughs> well, wait a minute. But, 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 but if I've been made the righteousness of God, how come I don't act righteous all the time? If my nature now is to be righteous and I don't act righteous, how come I can Because there's a third part of you that hasn't changed yet. So what God did is He deposited the righteousness in your nature. But it's your responsibility to to take that nature and work it to the outside so that you act in line with your nature. And what is it going to take to do that? It takes your soul to grow and change and mature so that you can begin to act on the outside like you are on the inside. 
so people that say they're just spirit and body, soul and body, they've got a problem. And by and large, there are people that have trouble accepting that right now I'm the righteousness of God because they know they don't act righteous all the time. So these are the parts of, of man. These are the sections and the parts of you. And we're going to pick up and see again. We'll focus now in on why the mind is, what the function of that mind is. Because not only does the soul determine what part of your spirit communicates, comes out of your body, and what part your body interacts with that gets into your spirit, your soul controls how much of the nature of God gets worked to the outside because it has to work through your will and your will won't do anything that your mind doesn't grasp and understand. So now we can begin to see where our mind is located in the way God has designed us and what its function and what its purpose is. It's not to guide us and to lead us. God guides and leads you only through your spirit. Now, is there a supernatural thing, but I'm talking about by and large. But your soul, your mind is there to be sensitive to the Spirit of God, understand the Spirit of God, even be able to discern the Spirit of God because your mind has spent enough time in this Word to have an image of what God is like so that you can line up what you're discerning the Spirit's telling you with what you already know of God and can accept, oh, that is the Spirit of God. So if this message you're getting inside your spirit says you're to leave your wife of 40 years and marry that 20-year-old down the street because I can use her better to accomplish my will. But your mind has read God hates divorce. Your mind has read about the covenant of God. Your mind has gives you an understanding. So you go, whoa, 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 that can't be the spirit of God. That, oh, but it felt peaceful. It felt, yeah, I felt that way. But my mind is responsible for knowing enough of what he's like through this word so that I can either accept that or I can reject that. We're not led by our mind, but our mind needs to be educated in this word so that we know what spirit we're being led by. And we'll pick up here next week. Praise the Lord. I couldn't leave you without that. We'll pick up and go over that again. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight that your word tells us to get wisdom and understanding that you're not hiding things from us, that you don't just tell us to do things and not give us understanding by which we can apply them and implement them in our lives. So we thank you tonight by your spirit for the understanding that you've given to us. Help us to begin to process this with our minds because our minds are going to try to understand it and our minds need to understand it. Help us to gain that understanding in our minds because you've called us to renew our minds. You've called us to be transformed and to be changed by the renewing of our mind. Therefore, we are able to do that. And so in the days and weeks ahead until we meet again on this next week, Father, continue to expand this understanding by your Spirit working in us and help us in our mind to be able to grasp what the precious Spirit of God shows us. And for that, we thank you in advance in Jesus' name.